Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. I think we uh, we decided that Sundays was a car weekend or car day. That's the day that everybody gets out and shops for cars. That's the day that everybody gets out and does stuff to their car, changes the oil. Uh, so that's why we're here, our auto expert, national radio show, talking about cars for the next uh, two hours or so. Jenna Ryan in the studio with us today. Uh, coming up, Pebble Beach is going to be happening, the Concorde Elegance and all the events that surround it, including Quail um, and the Laguna Seca track races. <clears throat> the thing I like about Pebble, it's been uh, the, the whole event around Pebble, is the fact that there are competitions between rich guys and they go to the bar each night and try and out-purchase each other on the vehicles available. So what ends up happening is, well, what did you buy today? Well, I bought an Aston Martin Lagonda. And what did you buy today? Well, I bought a... Uh, blah, 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 for Was it the first edition? $2.2 million. And, and it really does happen. I thought my friend Matthew Clark from um, Aston Martin was joking with me when he said they sell every car they bring to the Concours, and they do. Uh, people walk up and say, right, lime green? I'll take it, <laughs> and I'll pay whatever you want for it, too. Uh, they did the same uh, with the Acura NSX uh, two years ago when that vehicle was first shown there at the, uh, at the Quail. People came up and tried to buy it, and they weren't available yet, and they were offering silly money, millions of dollars, um, and they'll they'll sign the checks right on the spot, so people out purchase each other at Pebble, which really means that there are some amazing cars there. Uh, the events around Pebble we'll be talking about, but there are auctions, there are um, new car unveilings, there are parades of some of the best classic cars the world has to offer, um, and we'll be talking to uh, Nick Wander, who is one of the uh, the. People who writes all about the cars that go into the uh, catalog of Pebble Beach. He also is on uh, several committees. Uh, we're going to be talking to him, and he's going to be explaining to us some of the things that will be going on in the next couple of weeks as Pebble Beach winds up, and they get ready to do the Concorde d'Elegance. Um, and then we're also going to be talking to uh, Janelle Grigsby about the Rogue Dogue. There is a, you know, everyone's familiar with the Nissan Rogue. Nissan unveiled the Rogue Dogue at the New York Auto Show um, not last year, so 2017. And it was the second most popular car at the Auto Show. They dogified this vehicle. There is a new Rogue Dogue, a second edition, uh, will you, of the car. And uh, I got to drive it. And uh, I got to play with it. Before anybody? And I got to have treat. Well, they're not going to be for sale. It's, it's a concept thing. And I got to have treats dispensed by it. And I, I got to watch the dog TV. Um, it has a blow dry. I don't know. I'm going to tell you about it now. It, there's just, just things going on in that car that you should have in your life anyway. There's some very cool stuff. Uh, we're going to be uh, finding out about uh, some very cool events that are going on with, uh, with Hoonigan. Uh, we're also going to find out about the new uh, Genesis G70. This is the car that was put together by the Dream Team at Genesis. So if you're unfamiliar with what's been going on at Genesis, uh, this is a split off from the Hyundai brand, and they basically put together a list of people that is a Dream Team 
take the best ball players in the country and put them on one team. That's basically what Genesis did for cars. They have Albert Bierman, who designed the M cars or tuned the M cars from uh, from BMW. They have designers from and staff from Lamborghini, from Bentley, and they just made a dream team list and they came up with a G70, which is the first car that they put together. And they all, we're also going to talk a little bit about the Silverado. That was launched last week in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, Ryan and I got to go on that event and enjoy no internet for uh, four days. And uh, Anton Woolman's going to be here to talk about the uh, what's happening with Tesla and going private, whether that's a big shenanigan. And it, it actually, one of the things I was reading about the Tesla going private was super interesting because they said that the people that short sold the stock are now going to lose money. And I think that's most of the people who have been talking about Tesla <laughs> last year actually short, short sold the stock. Uh, we're also going to find out about the uh, Dash for Kids and, and why uh, Portland, Oregon is on the list of really, really bad drivers. Um, no way. Really? Does anybody in here agree with that? Nobody? <laughs> Everybody. Right. I have a friend, uh, Miriam Joie, who thinks that Portland should be the number one city for worst drivers. And she lives half in San Francisco and half in Portland. And she feels that the drivers in Portland are the worst. I, I'm happy with Northwest drivers. Um, the number one city, which happens to be in South Carolina, I'm clearly unhappy with because they nearly killed me in that city. Um, uh, but I think the Northwest drivers are fine. Um, the only place I've really had some bad driving experiences, South Carolina and Miami. I would say Miami doesn't appear on any lists, but, uh, Miami is one of the frightening, most frightening cities. We almost got killed by an ambulance in South Carolina. In South Carolina. He Weird. was digging like for, Food from, I don't know, underneath the dash, and he swerved over in our lane and almost killed us. Yeah, so the, here's the story, because now, now we're going to have to tell it. I was going to save it until the segment, but now we're going to have to tell it. Uh, Ryan and I were driving the Equinox, Chevy Equinox, I think it was. Wasn't it? Was it the diesel? The Chevy Equinox in... It's one of the many Equinox... Equinoxes? Equinox I? Yeah. <laughs> we were driving the uh, Chevy Equinox on the launch, I think, in South Carolina. And as we were driving, um, we came around a corner on this, I would call it a country lane. Uh, it was a, a two-lane highway, one in each direction. And there was an ambulance coming towards us in our lane with nobody at the wheel. And we're like, all right. So, so I started slowing down. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Uh, and then we got about 100 yards to the ambulance, and the guy pops his head up from under the dash like he'd been digging for something, yesterday's sandwich or something like that, and went, oh, sorry, <laughs> and got over into the right lane. That was pretty frightening. It's about uh, the best vehicle to get hit by, you know? No, what? Well, who? I would say the opposite. Oh, I mean, maybe the worst. <laughs> First of all, it might be the only ambulance for about 100 miles. <laughs> Second of all, they are big. They are big vehicles. They're usually uh, Ford Transits or Ford F F350s. So uh, they'll probably win in the law of physics game. We could, we should, uh, we, we could call somebody and ask them if they would win but I will tell you they would probably win in a game one to one uh, if you go up against unless you're driving something like a semi nobody wants to be there but we'll find out why Portland drivers are the worst alright coming up on our auto expert I'm Nick Myers. 
Keep listening. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up. Start your engines and you're off. Back to Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. If you uh, have comments, you could always uh, call us. We have a phone number, 1-877-733-1011. The famous 17 Mile was originally designed as a local excursion route for visitors to the Del Monte area to take in the historic sites of uh, Monterey and the Pacific Grove and the scenery around it becoming Pebble Beach. Now, I learned a lot of the times I have been to the... uh, Pebble Beach events, the peninsula of fun, as we like to call it, during the uh, the auto shows. Uh, there are so much going on there. There is an upside. You can see some of the most famous, some of the most spectacular, some of the most beautiful cars in the world. You can spend fantasy money in your head, but uh, it takes real money to walk away with some of these pieces of art. The bad side is... Everybody knows it's an amazing event at Pebble Beach, and so uh, it takes about four hours to go about a mile. I'm exaggerating, by the way. It's not true. It takes a long time to go anywhere. I really believed you. It it takes... I know I've sat in traffic many times, but it's worth it because it's so uh, amazing to do that. Uh, Nick Waller is joining us on the phone from Pebble Beach. Uh, Nick, I just wanted to ask you a few questions. Uh, first of all, thanks for taking some time out to uh, join us on uh, on this Sunday. This is probably the most premium car event in the country, isn't it? It is. Hi. Nice to meet you. Um, it is. It's one of the biggest one of the most i think one of the most important car events in not only the country but in the world i've been going since 1950 this is the 68th pebble beach concord d'agence and um we are looking forward to it big let, time. let me ask you this question because yeah. because people get it wrong it's d'elegance 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 yeah um, yes. And the more, French, the more French you make it sound, the sexier it is, right? D'elegance. Precisely, as with everything, surely. <laughs> yeah. I just want to get yeah. it right because a lot of people go, yeah, Concorde elegance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is incorrect, obviously. We'll ha- that, exactly. There are many, many um, ways of saying it, but only one true way. All right. And good. that's how you know a real car guy is if he can pronounce Concorde d'elegance. D'elegance. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I always want some Grey Poupon now, and that's how it makes me feel like uh, I should be in the back of some luxury uh, limo-style vehicle. Absolutely. Uh, you, you are lucky enough to be, I mean, you have multiple roles, uh, Nick, yeah. but you're lucky enough to sort of write about these vehicles as a, sort of the official writer and put descriptions together about them. Yeah. Uh, so you know every single vehicle back to front, right? I pretend sometimes. Because <laughs> um, I do I too. Spend, I spend six weeks buried in what seems like a bunker. Um, I hardly go out. I hardly talk to anybody. And I, I spend about six weeks writing about every car that's coming. And we have 211 cars coming to the Concours this year. Um, and I learn a lot every time I do it. Um, I know some. And I know some things. But I learn so much. Um, Sadly, as I get older, it all falls out the other side. But oh, yeah, I say I, the I, same. I have a conveyor belt in my head. When yeah. you put something new in, something drops off the other end. It, it, there's only so much room, yeah. Exactly. All right, so before we run out of time talking about the uh, d'elegance yeah. stuff, let's talk about what's the... There's usually a theme. There's usually uh, some specials around the uh, the Concours, right? 
there are. This year we have some wonderful featured marks, special classes. Um, first off, um, the, we have some motor cars coming from India, motor cars of the Raj, mm. we called it. Um, these cars have never been to uh, America before. We have, I think, not, 10 cars coming from India itself. There, most of them are here already. Um, I think one or two are flying as we speak. Um, and they range, extraordinary range, from a 1921 little Fiat 501 race car to a 1937 Rolls-Royce. It's a gurney nutting bodied 25-35 horsepower. Just some, and of course, being... Indian coming from India, being owned by Maharajas in the day, they had all sorts of accessories and hunting equipment and just extraordinary lighting and you know there are they are going to be a real star attraction I think so I can't wait to see them gathered. I have a then, special I have a special place in my heart for Indian cars because uh, yeah. you know if they want to make it a certain way they will even if they get a Absolutely. hammer and have to knock it themselves they'll do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and some of, you know, we don't see these cars outside of India hardly at all. Right. So this is going to be a real treat. Um, we always feature a, 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 a coachwork company. This year we're featuring Ralston, based in New York back in the 20s. Um, and again, they were responsible for some of the finest quality, uh, some of the best best-looking coachwork ever on Duesenbergs, on Packards, um, all sorts of cars, Hispano Suiza. Um, so we have a beautiful collection of those cars. They'll be um, sighted along the water. And I think once the sun comes out and the, the um, early fog has uh, burnt away, they're just going to shine. One of the classes that I'm particularly looking forward to, very uh, exciting, Oscar. A uh, little Italian um, mark built by, funnily enough, the Maserati brothers. When they sold their company, Maserati, they sold that uh, their own company um, in 1939, I think. And they set out in 1949 to build their own cars again. But they couldn't use Maserati as the name because they'd sold it. So they... They started this brand, Little Oscars. They was 1,100cc um, engines, and they were world beaters. They were mostly race cars, little MT4s, as they're called. And they, we have 17 of these together. This is 20% of the total production of Oscar no. in the day. They were built from 49 to 60. And I think it's going to be the biggest collection of Oscars that's ever been assembled in the world. It, now, now, what happens when you have a car that's on limited run like that and very mm. small numbers? They're worth a fortune, worth more than most of our houses, right? Well, you know what? I don't. I really don't want to f sort of focus on the, the values because that goes off in a whole different direction. I, you know, it's about the quality. It's about the beauty. beauty it's about the engineering. And Oscar, the, 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 the engines were so beautifully built. They were like sewing machines. Beautifully smooth, very, very fast, very, very powerful. They were, they were race car winners from day one. And they beat everything from their most famous win was uh, at the 12 Hours of Sebring in 1954. We had the car that won that race. Uh, it was driven by um, Sterling Moss. Wow. Um, and a number of others. It's just, that is going to be a little gem. Oh. 
And then we've got two really interesting, um, technologically advanced, um, but very, very different um, sets of cars. We have, for the first time ever, we're featuring Citroën. And the custom coachwork on the DS19. Oh, um, that's yeah. a beautiful car. Absolutely gorgeous. New heart. Again, don't see them very often in America, although they were sold here. Um, and we've got some beautiful uh, coach-built uh, examples of those. But, you know, they were very famous for their hydro-pneumatic suspension yeah. and uh, brakes and extremely advanced technology. And on the other side of the coin, on the other side of the Atlantic... There were the Tuckers, and another first-time feature, we're featuring Tucker. And we have everything from the 1946 test chassis of the Tucker 48 all the way through to the final car. Um, oh. And uh, again, you know, they, didn't, they made, um, I think, 50, 48? I can't remember. It is, it's really very, amazing. Very yeah, amazing when you see these beautiful cars. We could talk for two hours about these, uh, these vehicles. Tell me where we can find out more about the, the Pebble Beach events. Right. Obviously, online, all the W's, Pebble Beach Concours with an S at the end, .net. Awesome. I'm going to... That's um, where you need to go. I'll be there, Nick. I will uh, we'll be there with a film crew filming all the unveils, the beauty, the uh, pageantry, the coach work, uh, everything else. We're going to fill yeah. the gloriousness of that. I'm looking forward, uh, hopefully, to running into you when uh, when we get there. And yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll spend some time there. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Coming up, more Let's Our Auto Expert. We're going to be talking about Dash for Kids and why Portland, Oregon is a city in the Northwest which has been single out as having horrible, horrible, horrible drivers. Coming up. Keep listening. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is coming up. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Coast to Coast National Show talking about cars. It's uh, Sunday. You can always get in touch with us. one 877 uh, to ask your questions about vehicles. Uh, Vince is here from the Cascade Sports Car Club. Uh, you do an event every year called Dash for Kids. Um, do you run after children? <laughs> when I first Sometimes. heard it, and I didn't realize uh, when I didn't realize what it was, I thought, "Hey, it's like only a, it's when they're a, unruly." It's like um, a dog catcher for kids. No, 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 no. So the Dash for Kids is a uh, charity event that we put on every year. It's been thirty-four years now. Um, that we're we basically put on a race that that all the proceeds go to these uh, children's organizations, uh, whether it be Dornbecker uh, Hospital um, or Tech Academy Inc or a local transitional school here in Portland. Um, we do what we can to provide for these uh, these charities. There are a lot of uh, different charities that benefit from uh, kids for kids with cars. There is a lot of people around uh, around the country that do you know they'll do test drives and supercars and uh, all these different things with kids. It seems like it's a marriage. Cars and kids seems to uh, work very well together. What kid doesn't like a race car? Yeah, I mean, even Barbie kid, has a race car, has a Corvette. <laughs> yes, that's true. You know, it could have been a Mustang, but she chose a Corvette. 
Thank God. Uh, no comment. Jen is, no Jen, comment. Jen is like, thank God. <laughs> um, so tell us, uh, just give us a, a, a capsule on this, because then I want to talk to you about Portland drivers. <laughs> okay. So real quick, like uh, what we do is um, we have a, a general race that we put on. And then also during that time, we have a lot of kids activities. We uh, have a silent auction that goes on throughout the weekend. We have car rides. We do a... Um, uh, kids caravan, which is for the kids that can't uh, mobility wise, that it's difficult for them. So we'll get them in cars and we do a parade lap around with over flags flying and all that. Um, and then we also do to where the public can come in and they could purchase rides in race cars and or exotic cars, whether it be Ferraris, Maseratis, Lamborghinis, whatever. Um, and uh, all that money goes towards. Uh, towards the charities as well. So, so where can we find out more? Uh, CascadeSportsCarClub.org uh, or Dash for Kids. Uh, we're on Facebook. Um, and all, of course, if you want to get into sports cars and you're in the oh, Pacific yeah. Northwest or the Portland area, you yeah, can uh, look us up. We'll, yeah. we'll we'll hook you up. Yeah, sports car crazy. Uh, yes. All right, I want to turn to uh, talking in this portion of the show about drivers. Now, the Northwest is known for having passive aggressive people. And uh, that may be reflected in the driving because a recent survey came out by an online insurance company that says Portland is ranked as one of the worst cities to drive in, 11th in the country. Um, what's your pet peeve of driving in Portland? I Since you're from Portland. Yeah, no, uh, no, it's, it's a good question. It's um, between the distracted driving, uh, people that uh, on their phones or for whatever other reason they're not paying attention to the road, or the um, the feeling of uh, they have the right of way more than anyone else. I think uh, I would agree with you. I, so my two pet peeves are people that travel in the center lane or the left lane. Yes. Uh, that drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. And then it's squeezing into gaps where there isn't one and then slowing down slower than the traffic was in front of you. Because yeah. um, I've had some raging moments in my car, and I'm not an angry person. I'm a beautiful, nice, warm, friendly individual. But driving can often make me uh, unlike I that. I have some, <laughs> within the last 12 months, personal experience in this, yes, um, where I was involved in an accident. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yes, yes, I remember seeing that on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, no, so, so it, it's, it is a problem with Let uh, me ask you, exactly so why that. is Portland singled out? We, we all read the, the cities off in a second, but why is Portland singled out? I, I think it's just the populace. Uh, how Seattle isn't, Seattle isn't singled out. Spokane happens to be worse than Portland, by the way. It's number four on the list. Neither of those places have been the number one destination to move to for several years now. We're going Thank on you. year yeah, number six or seven. Population, now. Though, but Seattle's population is, is right in, in Seattle is bigger than Portland by quite a long way. It's media market 12 versus Portland, which is 23. So it's almost 10 points higher yet and 10 points bigger in the media market. Yet drivers are much more courteous in Seattle. Well, you can't move there. Yeah, you just sit. It's, it's just it's traffic it's like is. LA. I what are you no going to do? Driving around Seattle. Yeah. I can't I just stand don't drive between <laughs> eight a.m. and eight p.m. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I five on a Friday afternoon can be pretty sad. Yeah, um, around here it's really bad. 
uh, in Portland. Yeah. It's it's bad. Uh, cities go like this. Uh, Portland at number 11. West Jordan, Utah, 5. Force, Spokane, Omaha, Nebraska, 3. Uh, number 2, Dover, Delaware. I didn't, I've never heard of Dover, Delaware, but I'm not very familiar with cities in Delaware. Famous racetrack. Uh, well, That's how where you get your Dover, Dover flags. Have Dover, Delaware, famous fra- racetrack. Uh, number one, worst drivers <laughs> in the United States, Greer, South Carolina, which I'd probably agree with no, after driving in South Carolina. We were warned when we arrived at the airport in South Carolina by a sheriff that they had the worst drivers in the world. He just wow. let us know, like, hey, hey I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guy, but these people are not too good at driving. Wow. Jen, what's your pet peeves of driving? I hate honking. It drives me crazy. It's like, don't honk at me. Why, why do people honk at you, Jen? I, you know, I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you a horrible driver? No, actually, I'm really good, but I do hate, like you do, people speed up just to get in front of you just to slow down. Yeah. Come on. Oh, sorry, that was my microphone. Uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the one thing, I think the one thing that makes me very sad is, uh, the one thing that makes me re- very, very, very sad is when people wave their fist at me as well. I would. I, that makes me angry. Better no fingers, fingers than, than one finger. There's a yeah, horn exactly. right in the middle for you to do that. All right. <laughs> Stay tuned. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Our auto expert continues. Here's your host, Nick Miles. Officially. Uh, Car Day Sundays, that's uh, that's what we're calling it, officially Car Day, because this is the day uh, people shop for cars and have uh, good car karma, I guess. I spent the uh, last part of the week in San Diego um, doing some TV, and I was with uh, this young lady who's on the phone, Janelle Grigsby. Uh, Janelle is from Nissan, and uh, she allowed me to partake in the latest creation from the Nissan design uh, department, which is called the Rogue Dog 2. Hi, Janelle. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So let's talk a little bit about how this vehicle came about. The first Rogue Dog, the Rogue Dog 1, was released at the New York International Auto Show 2017, if I'm not mistaken, and was the second most uh, covered vehicle of the show because what goes better together than puppies and cars, right? Exactly, exactly. You can't beat the Rogue Dog. Uh, so the Rogue Dog is basically a Nissan Rogue in which your, your design team and design teams from several places got to go crazy and put a whole bunch of dog stuff in the back of the vehicle. Uh, and tell us what the Rogue Dog 2 has in it. Oh, quite a bit for the dog lover, for sure. It is an aspirational vehicle that we're very excited about, and it's a project vehicle with a fully functioning canine home away from home that includes an illuminated pull-out ramp for easy access, a treat dispenser controlled by the key fob, a specially constructed harness system, a 360 shower and drying system to go along with our 360 monitors that are in every Rogue, even the ones out on the road that you can purchase at a dealership today, a video monitor with dog-friendly programming, removable dog bed for the rear hatch area, and a grooming wipe dispenser. Everything every dog lover needs while traveling with their pup. I also noticed in the back it had a um, cleanup bag dispenser. 
a yes for those uh for those moments when uh, everyone needs a little pick me up. I'm thinking that they you know you'd have to you have to put some of those in your pocket when you went you go for a walk. Hopefully you wouldn't need them in the back of the car. Uh, this is like uh this vehicle was put together by the same guys that uh, did your Star Wars vehicles as well, wasn't it? Yes, vehicle effects in Burbank. They uh work with us quite a bit. They did the Millennium Falcon Rogue. They worked on several of the project vehicles that were seen at the L.A. Auto Show that were inspired by Star Wars. So, yes, we have a great relationship with them and enjoy working with them. So why did this vehicle come about? Because I love, I love the idea. I'd love it if these accessories were all purchasable from your Nissan dealer to put in uh, the brand new Rogue. Uh, and hopefully some of them will be worked on in the future and, and you'll allow uh, public to actually purchase them and put them in their vehicle. Was it somebody uh, who was sitting uh, sitting in uh, in their office in Nissan going, oh, well, I think I would like to do an experiment with my dog and uh, build a car especially for them? Well, I think there were a couple of people, but one of the people in particular is uh, Dan Pass, who has been with Nissan for quite a while. He's now with Nissan in Japan, but he very creative man. He has had so many ideas for project vehicles. He's a dog owner himself and thought, what better than to combine Nissan's best-selling model with dog lovers and bringing your dog out into the world? So let's talk a little bit about the Rogue, because uh, the choice of vehicle that you chose was uh, probably the safest vehicle that you have on the road today. Yes, definitely. It's Nissan's best-selling vehicle. It features Nissan Intelligent Mobility Technology, including ProPilot Assist, which um, is a hands-on-wheel, eyes-on-road um, driving assist that reduces the hassle of stop-and-go driving by helping control acceleration, braking, and steering during single-lane highway driving. And so, obviously, now, if you had your dog running around in the car with you, it might uh, it might help not to be distracted from the road so much. Uh, the the Rogue is just one of the, the sort of project vehicles that you had. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the project vehicle that we're going to be doing together and it will be announced at SEMA this year. Uh, your truck, which is the Titan, um, we, uh, we're going to um, take one of your trucks and do unspeakable things to it, make it uh, into a vehicle to rescue animals. Uh, Nissan has given us the opportunity to take a, a Nissan Titan, and we're going to turn it into an animal rescue rig, uh, which will be unveiled at uh, the SEMA show in November. Why, you know, why is uh, Nissan obviously started off doing um, a lot of big vehicles? I've seen Nissan fire engines, but the Titan seems to be quite a champion amongst truck guys. Oh, for sure it is. And as you mentioned, Nissan has a very long history of making emergency assist vehicles. They've done fire trucks um, going way back to the 50s, 60s, and possibly even before that. But um, it's really about helping dogs and helping the community. Um, I'm currently based in California, and one of the things that, you know, unfortunately seems to be happening more frequently are fires and emergency situations and Nissan really stands behind the community and dogs and our four-legged friends and our other friends horses etc 
um, we really believe in supporting them as well. Yeah, this is so. So for those people that haven't heard this before, uh, this the Nissan Titan is going to be turned into this animal rescue rig. Uh, we're we're affectionately calling it Pause One as the very first one. Uh, so it'll have the usual things that you'd expect and some surprises as well. Uh, we have a friend who uh, has a dealership in San Diego, a Nissan dealership, and they recently uh, did some police vehicles for the Oceanside Police Department. And one of the things that they put inside the vehicle was infrared cameras and the infrared cameras were in there to try and see people when they you know you couldn't see them with your naked eye and i was thinking when i first saw this at the san diego auto show the oceanside police department nissan titan what a great idea and then i heard the story about this truck that they did so during the lilac fires down in southern california they were using this nissan titan to go and make sure people had evacuated from their homes so as they're passing the home they using the infrared camera they're looking at the house and seeing if they could see any bodies any warmth in there so people could be rescued and immediately my mind goes to and so if you're looking for animals in like a flooded area all you have to do is turn it on and you'd see this heat source and you'd be able to go rescue the animal but they also told us that what ended up happening was as they were scanning these houses to look for people to see if there was any heat sources there they were scanning the local businesses as they went past them to see if anyone was in there and they came across a local business in southern california where people seemed to be loading stuff up into the back of a truck in the middle of the night and the Oceanside Police Department went around front and ended up taking a few passengers, as we call it, to Disneyland for a little extended visit, uh, which uh, they, yeah, they busted a whole bunch of people robbing stores. So I think that was a great use of it. So when uh, Janelle showed me this at the San Diego Auto Show, I was thinking, what a great idea to put inside this American Animal Rescue Rigs vehicle is this infrared camera so you could identify vehicles. So we'll be putting that in the vehicle. We'll be putting kennels with heaters in the back as well. So in cold weather will be able to rescue animals winches on the front uh, we've employed the guys from hard notch customs who are uh, in vancouver uh, washington and they if you go to their uh, their website hard notch customs you can see some of the nissan titans that they've done already they put huge big steel bumpers on the front they put great big winches on the on the front and the back uh, they do sort of these build outs with uh, areas in the vehicle for cages and that sort of thing so we have a lot of ideas about about how we could build out this Nissan title for an animal rescue rig. And so uh, when I found out about the Rogue Dog, which is their new Rogue, it sort of fit in perfectly to be, oh, we've got to definitely have Janelle on to talk about uh, a, a car that's specially made for dogs. And now, Janelle, the things on the Rogue Dog aren't actually available currently, are they? So uh, some, of, some of the items are available, but most of the items are actually there for uh, sort of as a experimental build-out. Do you think some of these items will come into dealerships in the future, or what's the plan with that? Well, currently the Rogue Dog is an aspirational vehicle, but we do have select pet accessories available through Nissan dealerships and supplies may vary per dealership, but we do encourage safety in your vehicle with your pet. Of course. And uh, uh, interestingly enough, you're going to be using the Rogue Dog for, uh, you, you, I think you had an adoption event in San Diego with it, and you're going to have some other adoption events. Will people come in to, uh, to check out the, the pet food dispenser? Well, people were coming to check out the dogs because apparently the bigger the social media following the dog has, the more people stop by to see it. So uh, yesterday, Princess found a, um, a temporary home with a lovely young woman who came by, saw Princess on social media, loved her, wanted to um, 
keep her until she could find her forever home. So that was great. And it's also interesting to see what other types of donations uh, get brought out. It was very kind. We had a gentleman named Mark Maynard from the San Diego Union Tribune come by with a donation of toys. People brought food. So it was really nice to see people rally behind these dogs, particularly, you know, some of the dogs who have um, lost their homes during some of the recent emergencies here in California. So that was great. I did meet a dog while I was down in Southern California uh, who had jumped out the back of a car as a puppy and broke both of the front legs and uh, was unable to walk. And through several surgeries, they had, uh, although it was difficult, had, had abled the dog to walk. Now, that, that dog, was it Ruby was up for a home? Did Ruby ever find a home or is she still looking? Rue is still looking. She uh, is a great dog, and she's building her social media following currently as we speak so that she can find her forever home. But what a personality on that one, Nick. I mean, you even interacted with her. You saw her. She's playful. She's great, and she'll make somebody a wonderful, really amazing pet. Yeah, she sort of uh, looks like a miniature pit bull in a sense too, but she can't sort of stand up. She sort of walks um, almost on her knees, and she's so cute and so young, and she'll find a great home. Um, I will, uh, Jen, maybe we can post uh, a link to, to her so she can get adopted at the ourautoexpert.com or on our social media sites. We'll get, we'll get all that up there so you, you can see her. So uh, the, is the Rogue Dog going to be touring the country, Janelle, or is it, uh, is it sort of had its, uh, had its experimental um, introduction? Actually, the Rogue Dog is going to make a couple other stops during the re- remainder of the summer and into the fall. We're going to be visiting some auto shows. We're going to be doing some more adoption events. I know we're looking for partners um, in the L.A., Orange County, Sacramento, and San Francisco areas in terms of um, getting together with some kind of rescue or adoption or uh, state agency that helps facilitate and find these dogs forever home. I can't tell you enough how I think this is an absolute amazing cause. Uh, Rogue Dog is an excellent uh, machine and you can uh, you can see, I, I will post some stuff on the Rogue Dog so you, you can see it. Janelle Grigsby from Nissan, thank you so much for being a guest on today's show. Uh, we still have a lot to to, uh, to cover in this uh, this morning's show or today's show. Uh, we're going to uh, check out some uh, other events, including uh, we're going to chat to Vin from Hoonigan uh, about their new, um, I would say it's uh, a racing. They're doing some stuff with Fiat. They've been looking for drivers. They found some new drivers. Vince has got his hand up. He's still in the studio. Kevin Smith going to join us. He's going to talk about the new, uh, the Genesis G70. If you're unfamiliar with Genesis, they originally were part of the family of Hyundai vehicles. They split off. It's one of the fastest growing luxury uh, brands in America and definitely got some great ideas behind this vehicle. We're going to talk about the brand new Silverado Chevy, a new truck. Ryan and I got to drive it. Uh, That's on the market. Is it going to be able to uh, to beat the Ram 1500 or the Ford F-150? We found some interesting stuff out about truck owners, which is if you're a truck owner and you love a brand, Jen, Chevy, uh, you don't usually change. Regardless of what the truck company does, It's there are a few people that change, but most people, if you love a truck, you do not change. You buy the same truck every time. And we're also going to get to talk to Anton Warman about what the is going on at Tesla. That's all coming up. Our auto expert, I'm Nick Myers.
listening. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up. It's Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. I uh, I like to have fun in cars. That's what I do. Um, I like to drift. I like to do burnouts. I like to do autocross. And uh, all of them sometimes together, all in one. And one of the places I like to go and find uh, fun other people who like to do fun stuff in cars is at uh, Hoonigan. And Vin is on the phone from Hoonigan joining us to talk uh, a little bit. I want to explain, uh, Vin, have you explain what, what Hoonigan is? Because um, it's hard for me to actually explain to anybody what Hoonigan is, but it seems to be a gathering place for people that like fun. Would that be a correct analysis? Hey, Nick. Yeah. So, I mean, Hoonigan started out as a, a lifestyle apparel company, you know, uh, back in the days we, we all kind of started in the action sports industries, you know, whether it was BMX or skateboarding or snowboarding, surfing, et cetera. And there was really no, no specific, uh, place like that for the automotive culture. So Hoonigan started, um, from Ken Block and Brian Scotto and, uh, really wanted to give you know, the apparel industry, a place for, for the automotive culture. And uh, that all started through, you know, it was just sticker brand and, and we all, we had to portray, uh, you know, make our brand attitude based off having fun in cars because, you know, at the root of it, that's really all it's about is building cool stuff and having fun with it. So I, I remember when Ken... the whole mantra we've had since the beginning. Yeah, Ken started to design shoes. Uh, I remember that where we were, I uh, was talking to him just when that happened. Uh, you... Uh, you have this sort of magical power of when you jump onto Hoonigan and you start to watch. I just realized in the break, um, I, w I had spent like three minutes watching videos and I was only going to visit the site to make sure I check on a couple of stuff. It's like you get sucked in. Uh, one of the videos you have up there is this nine-year-old who shredded jumps to... Uh, to, you know, basically showed off his skills and put the smack down on everybody else to uh, show how well he drives. Uh, that was an amazing video. But what we what we actually want to talk to you about, see, there I go, tangent. Starting to see, I have it right up in front of me, and I can't stop watching it because the okay, video is... We, we actually had a show called Tangents because that's exactly <laughs> what we do all the time. <laughs> I, can't keep, I can't keep my head straight because there's just too many shiny objects in front of me right now. Uh, you, <laughs> you did this uh, deal with Fiat um, last year, and it's a re I mean, you may have done it before then. I was aware of it last year, and you repeated it this year, where you were you were trying to recruit. No, last year was the first time. Okay, so last year the first time, uh, you were recruiting um, uh, drivers, basically participants. Uh, so la it's changed a bit from year to year. Explain us, and it closed on Friday. So for all those people wanting to get involved, uh, unfortunately, uh, actually, it closes tonight. We've, oh, what? We've been getting so many really <laughs> awesome entries. Um, over the past couple of days that we figured, you know, a lot of times people have a little bit of extra time on the weekend. So we were like, let's, let's see what we get over the weekend. And we're doing our final picks on Monday. Vin, so, you just, my studio just, and, and you know, my studio, Vin, they have, uh, they, have a, they have a couple more hours left. I just lost everyone out of the studio. Everyone's just gone out into the hall and using computers now to go <laughs> check. I don't even <laughs> have a race car. And I'm Everyone's like, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm signing up right now. See you. Bye. Sorry about the show and everything, Nick. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So explain, uh, explain to us the, the system. What's going on? How does it work? And, uh, and what will the person, if they sign up before the end of tonight, what will they get? Yeah, sure. So last year we did this... Uh, 
as a female driver search and the whole the whole thing was we wanted to you know add another female driver onto our roster because we started working with leah pritchett she races uh top fuel dragsters and does uh she's currently the quickest quickest women on four on four wheels um she does the quarter mile or thousand feet in uh under four seconds um so we wanted to add a, an additional female hooting in so we did a search that was specifically focused towards towards women in motorsport and uh you know, the grand prize is that not only do you get to, you know, join Hoonigan and, and get all the marketing and exposure, but you could race their factory FIA spec rally car uh, alongside guys like Travis Pastrana and Reese Millen nice. at uh, Mount Washington. Right. But, uh, you know, racing, using, relying on a race car, um, you know, could be pretty, pretty difficult. And, you know, when you're shooting content, uh, there's, it just adds a, a big variable of, uh, of reliability, you know, because race cars break. It's not that's not a shocker, right? So this year, when Fiat came back to us and said, you know, that's something we'd like to do again. How can we make it bigger and better? And you know, naturally, we were like, well, let's open this thing up to men and women. Um, uh, no, no shocker at all. Again, is our our demographic is 96% men. Um, so we sort of decided we unleash the other massive percentage of our, our audience by uh, having this battle be co-ed and uh, instead of having them race uh, you know a really iconic event at the end of the uh, end of the challenge as the the finale we decided um, you know after speaking with Fiat and, and thinking about what would be really awesome was that we would give away a car so Ooh. what we did is we got a brand new Fiat 124 ABART and uh we we decided we would modify it into becoming a, a track car that we can give away at the end of it. So you know, 50 state legal, um, time attack style car. So you know, we had a lot of great great partners on uh, aftermarket parts like BC Racing suspension and BC Forged wheels and you know saw belt safety and components and Magnaflow and K and N and you know what we decided to do was we would build this car into something really fun and awesome. But we'd also fabricate a custom-built uh, tow-behind trailer that will bring a spare set of wheels and, and tires and, you know, parts and tools and everything. And uh, you could tow it to the track and have fun and, and come home. So at the end of our, uh, our challenge events, uh, we'll be giving away this brand-new car and, and tow-behind trailer. So, uh, All right, I'm sold. I'm sold. Actually, internally, we're all pretty jealous of the car that's been given away. Yeah, you don't have to build yourselves one. Uh, if somebody wants to enter, uh, they have uh, a limited time to do so. Where do they go? So you could go to uh, Hoonigan.com, and you can follow the links to uh, Hoonigan's Wanted. Um, all you have to do, it's really simple, 60 seconds or less, you know, why you think you should be the next Hoonigan. And... You know, we'd like to see some driving clips so we understand that, you know, you know how to drive and, and have fun. But we're also looking for people who are good personality, someone that's fun to be around, someone that's interesting to make content with, you know, because no one, you know, besides Ken Block, everyone at Hoonigan is, you know, just a, an enthusiast that enjoys having fun. None of us are, are, you know, number one podium finishing professionals. You know, it's all about 
enjoying what you do and, and having a good time while you're doing it. And I love it. The, the idea is great. The concept's great. The website's great. You got it all going for you. Uh, Vin from Hoonigan, thanks for being part of the show today. If you want to be a race car driver, you want a chance to win. You just have to go to uh, hoonigan.com. More coming up in the show. I'm going to talk a little bit about the new G70 with Kevin Smith from Genesis. Find out why you should be making a space in your garage for this car, which was made by the Dream Team of Automotive. That's coming up. Our auto expert. I am Nick Miles. There's more to come with Nick Miles. He's Nick Miles, and this is our auto expert. You know, very rarely do I come across uh, something that is potentially so explosive to the car industry as I have done with Genesis. Uh, This is a car company that started off as part of the Hyundai brand and uh, spun off uh, a few years ago. Um, And what they've ended up with is uh, third or fourth best-selling vehicles in their classes. They've ended up being top of the heap as far as reliability. They're groundbreaking in a lot of the technology. And in the recent vehicle that they just released, the G70, they've ended up with somewhat of what I would probably consider is uh, one of the best dream teams of uh, people making the vehicle that is absolutely possible. Uh, Kevin Smith is on the phone from Genesis. Kevin, welcome to our auto expert. So uh, you are pretty lucky to have some of the stars of the car industry working on the Genesis brand. We are incredibly lucky, Nick. Yeah, thank you for noticing. (laughs) Uh, We have uh, several key, very, very talented people at Genesis now. They have uh, really put together the dream team, as you put it. We've got Albert Bierman heading up product development, and he spent 30 years at BMW's M division. We've got uh, uh, Manfred Fitzgerald, who's the global head of Genesis, that's heading up Genesis. He was previously the head of Lamborghini. We've got Luke Dunkervalker heading our design department. He was previously at Lamborghini as well as Bentley and Audi, a brilliant designer, and he's amassed an incredibly talented team of designers with him, Senyap Lee and... Sasha Stelopanov and others, and uh, they just do phenomenal work. Uh, but people may not know them as individuals, but they'll definitely know their work. All you have to do is look down some of the most, uh, I guess, uh, prominent performance cars in the world and some of the uh, most incredible luxury cars in the world, and there you have a list. But incredibly enough, when you look at the new Genesis G70, uh, it has a very individual look of its own. It, it's not like they borrowed anything from any other catalog. This vehicle is absolutely a standalone uh, vehicle that has design for Genesis, which is unique and individual? I think one of the reasons they've been so successful uh, attracting these designers to Genesis is they're not anchored with the design heritage of the past like other brands have. You know, Luke and Sanyup and Sasha will tell you they're used to working from a design Bible, if you will, with other brands they've worked on. Um, there's certain elements of the design that have to be in the modern cars that used to be in the older cars. With Genesis... They've got a design Bible, and it's full of blank paper, so they get to de- define it. Ooh, rewriting the Bible. I kind of like that when you and when you look at cars. Uh, the G70 uh, comes uh, to market as the third Genesis that you have uh, brought out under the Genesis nameplate, but it's just one of many cars that's coming because you're, uh, you're getting ready to sort of kick off your SUV lineup as well. That's true. Uh, yeah, we've got the three sedans now. That's the foundation, if you will. 
But in the next few years to come, we've got two SUVs, uh, a third car that we've not yet fully defined, at least those three vehicles, maybe even four. So we'll have a full portfolio of six, perhaps even seven vehicles within about three years from now. And your concept car at the New York International Auto Show this spring really uh, stole the show, didn't it? It absolutely did, yeah. The Essentia is a stunning, stunning concept car, an all-electric Gran Turismo car, two-door, four seats, just a carbon fiber body. Uh, like I said, all-electric with multiple motors, zero to 60, about three, six, three seconds. Uh, a spectacular car, and it did steal the show in New York, and it's been doing so since at various Concord d'Elegance events around the globe. Uh, will we see it at Pebble coming up? We will indeed. It'll be at uh, the... It'll be at the uh, Monterey, uh, I'm sorry, the, the McCall Motorworks uh, experience at the Jet Center on Wednesday. It'll be at the Quail on Friday, and it'll be on the Concord lawn, um, on the concept lawn, that is, at the Concord Elegance on Sunday. I'm enamored with that car. I may, I may have to come and see it again when I'm at Pebble. Uh, let's not get too distracted. We're talking about G70, the new Genesis vehicle. So uh, what does G G70 bring to the table that uh, other car companies are not bringing to the table in this segment? Because it goes up against, it's about the same size if you're measuring as the C-Class, the BMW 3 Series. So what does it bring to the table? Yeah, size-wise, it's right with those competitors. I think what it brings to the table um, is the best combination of luxury and athletic performance and uh, just just a really nice package overall. Tremendous features, great value for the money, all of the standard safety equipment that's there. The 15-speaker Lexicon audio system is on all of the variants of the vehicle except for the very base model, the advanced model. Um, just a complete holistic package of a car, great handling, uh, wonderful driving performance, comfortable ride as well, and excellent performance uh, to whatever degree you want, given the two different engines that are available and either rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. Now, one of the things you did when we launched it at the Club Motorsports in New Hampshire is you gave us the opportunity to take different variants around a fairly windy autocross track and uh, do a little bit of drifting with it. I'm glad to say you have a manual and a rear-wheel drive version available, which means that kids like me who may be a little crazy on the track uh, got to experience <laughs> the car and smoke it out. Well, we wanted to have a real purist version of the car, and uh, so we wanted to offer the manual transmission. That's a bit of a rarity, unfortunately, these days, as automatics have gotten so good and so efficient and everything else. Uh, manuals are becoming more and more rare, but enthusiasts still really prefer them. So we wanted to offer that kind of purest edition of the car, and it's much more than just the manual with that car. It's a it's a package of performance bits that come along with it to make it very special. In the sport version, you did something I think is super sexy. You did this sort of bronzing of the wheels and the, and the parts that normally would be chrome. Yeah, it's really cool looking. We've got, instead of regular chrome, we've got smoked chrome on the sport edition, and we've got the darker gray wheels, the five-spoke wheels, and, and the quilted interior with the uh, accent piping either gray or red, and it's just a really, really sexy car. Beautiful. Starting price? Starting price, thirty four nine. So th that's disgustingly reasonable. And if you get up to, uh, you know, the top end, uh, you're, you're not that high into uh, much above that. I mean, I just, I just purchased a car for around $50,000. And uh, after I did, I went, this is a great price for the G70. 
Yeah, it's it's really really good, and uh, we're going to top out right about fifty thousand. The entry price is thirty four nine, and it's an awful lot of car for the money. I think it's more car for the money than anything you'll find in the competitive set. That's uh, and anybody that's considering a performance sedan uh, the size of a C class or a three series or an Audi four A four, uh, this is definitely a high competitor. Not only are you offering a lot of car for the money, Kevin, but you're also offering some features that other car companies have been slow to adopt like your uh, your sort of concierge service where you're offering uh, people some special service uh, opportunities where they can have most things done for them. We think at Genesis, we think one of the greatest luxuries in our lives, in our busy lives these days is time. So we're trying to make it more efficient to live with the Genesis vehicle in your life. Uh, one of the ways we're doing that is we have a service valet program. So Whenever you need to have the car serviced, whether it's just regular uh, regular service work or warranty work or what have you, um, you simply make an appointment for that work. A service valet concierge will bring you a loaner car to your place of work or your home or the nearby Starbucks or wherever you like, and then they'll they'll leave you the loaner car. They'll take your car in for service and bring it back to you when it's done and, and recapture the loaner car from you. So you don't even have to make that service uh, service visit to the dealership yourself it's it's done for you that for people like me who are inherently lazy kevin you've saved my life let me <laughs> tell you i uh, i can't think of anything better than than doing that uh more information i presume at genesis.com absolutely genesis.com all right, Kevin Smith, he is uh, one of the uh, the most senior people at the Genesis Car Company. Kevin, thanks for joining us on this Sunday. You can find out more about that G70 if you go to the website. When we return, Ryan and I uh, spent uh, three days in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where we got to drive the brand-new Chevy Silverado. Important vehicle, not just for Chevrolet, but to the, anybody that drives a truck. We'll tell you all about that. Plus, us, our crazy Swede, independent investor and analyst Anton Warman joining us to talk about what the heck is going on at Tesla. Going private, we'll find out more as our auto expert returns. Keep listening. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is coming up. It's our auto expert with Nick Miles. You know, uh, most uh, car companies make their money on bigger vehicles. Uh, they make their money on the F-150. That's uh, a lot of the money comes through Ford for the F-150. They make their money on the Silverado at Chevrolet. And they make their money on the uh, Ram 1500 at Ram Trucks or at FCA. So when they bring out a new version of these vehicles... It's super important to get everything absolutely right. And that's exactly what uh, Chevrolet hoped they did with the new Silverado. Ryan and I spent the last, uh, I guess last week, about three days in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which, by the way, we learned has horrible, horrible cell service, uh, test driving the new Silverado. And uh, initially, there are some amazing things on this vehicle. I would say I'm impressed by uh, one thing that was carryover and the other thing which is kind of cool, but they're nothing to do with what truck guys would look at these vehicles well. The one thing I'm impressed at is when you open the rear door or open the side door, the electronic step comes out from the vehicle. 
Okay, we've seen that. A lot of cars have it. A lot of trucks have it. It's nothing new. It helps you get into the vehicle. It's kind of a luxury item. But on the Silverado, this is a carryover, by the way. It's available on the 2018 as well as the new 19. If you tap the end of it with your foot, so go to the very end and you just tap it, it extends out and goes all the way back to the bed. And then you can step up and use it to get into the bed. Ha-ha-ha! Clever! Uh, that was very cool. But it's a carryover they had on the last of But the thing that was new about this that uh, I was most impressed about is probably something that most truck guys aren't going to care about at all. And that is the electronic up and down tailgate. And not only because it's cool to be able to operate the tailgate from the key fob, and I probably did it more times than I should have done, uh, just playing with it going up and down. But the other cool thing is, and we did this in our TV segment, we covered the vehicle, was when we grab, you see, you, you go to the back, and let's say you have, uh, you know, a couple of pieces of equipment, a drill, a, a circular saw or something, you grab them, and you lift them out, and you've got your hands full now. How do you close it, right? Well, you've got to get the, either key fob, or you've got to usually, what I do is I get down under my shoulder and I push it up that way. Ha! Huh. They have a very clever solution to this. You just tap the edge of it with your knee. You just, just lift it. So you go up about an inch and it closes automatically. And I'm like, oh, those people think and making these trucks now. They're thinking about how people operate, what they need to do. Um, the vehicle comes in eight different trims, six different, uh, engine choices. And th- which is a bit misleading because there is not six different engines. There's just combination of powertrains. Uh, six different version, including coming a diesel. Uh, Ryan, did they mention a hybrid? I don't think they did. They didn't talk about it. They said the three-liter diesel's coming. The, the diesel's coming, but they, they, you know, Ram have said in the 1500 there's a hybrid coming. Uh, oh, there's, uh, there's the e-assist transmission in the Ram, too, which they didn't have in this. Uh, so there, there's a lot of choices. Uh, they start uh, under $30,000 for the base, base, like, stripped-down, PG&E, uh, you know, s- sort of industrial version of the truck and then they go up to well i guess it doesn't go up to whatever you want right you can stick whatever you want on the truck and spend thousands of dollars but uh you'd probably spend about 40 45 100 dollars for for one that was really really nicely but out of all the trucks that we've driven this year this is like the most workman friendly truck there are so many things that someone who works in construction or someone who just works with their truck on a daily basis like a plumber or an electrician or really anybody like the amount of stuff that this truck has for the day-to-day worker is unbelievable and how easy it is to use for the day-to-day worker. They didn't focus on all the luxury amenities. They focused on getting the job done. Which I, is- well, you know, I think they always want to make you as comfortable as possible. Uh, they did use as every piece of space. And the interesting thing is talking to the designers where we sat down and had a conversation and said, you know, what, what did you design on the truck? What did you do? One of the things that they told us is, they uh, they don't actually design these vehicles. What they do is they're given a space and they make as much out of that space as possible. So uh, what they did is, for instance, in the rear seats, the center of the rear seats for the rear seat passengers pulls out and there's a cubby in there where you can store whatever. I mean, it's something you'd want in that rear seat. You, you've got to, you know, access by the driver might be difficult, but that was kind of cool. There, there was kind of cool things like that. So you could do that. USB-C ports, three of them now in the vehicle. You know, most cell phone companies are going to USB-C, so they had three of them in the vehicle. 
impressed by the gauge cluster in the center of the vehicle. Uh, very industrial rubbery. I always felt like I could have taken a bucket of mud and splashed it over there and hosed it off afterwards and it would have, it would have hosed off really. So a sort of industrial feel to it. A lot of very cool stuff they've done to make it usable. So for instance, something they pointed out to me was there is a step in the back. Uh, where you put your foot at, uh, just at the back corner where the tailgate and the side meet. You put your foot in that to step into the bed. Uh, what their competition do is they have their, uh, traffic sensor in there to make sure the blind spot sensor. Uh, they have theirs in there, but a lot of people put it in the light. And if you put it in the light and the light gets damaged, it costs you about three times as much to replace the light. Because they put it inside the step, that actually allows them to uh, not get it, you know, not make the light so expensive to replace. They're thinking about what to do. It looks pretty good. I actually like the way the ones on the lower level look that have Chevrolet written across the front. Could make me a fan of this truck, by the way, uh, especially uh, because of the new design. And then they actually have a fin that comes the back, the tailgate. The, as she comes into a fin at the back, it's almost a pointy fin, which I think is, you know, it's arrow, looks kind of sexy. I don't remember, by the way, seeing that on the launch, but I do remember, uh, you know, making a big deal of it when we were on the event. New Chevrolet Silverado hitting dealerships uh, this fall. It's uh, going to be a big deal for anybody that supports Chevrolet, and I think they've got a pretty amazing truck as well. You can check it out at Chevrolet.com. Coming up, our auto expert. We're going to talk Tesla and why they are talking about going private. That's more as we return. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Our auto expert will be right back. It's our auto expert with Nick Miles. There is a lot of news around uh, Tesla going on. In fact, dominating the car news over the last uh, few weeks, I would say, and more and more since the information came out that uh, Elon Musk wants to take the company private. We heard uh, all about that as a major news story. Anton Wallman joining us on the phone. He is an independent analyst and investor. Anton, uh, are you are the other side of the world today? That's right. I am on the other side of our beloved planet. <laughs> you're in uh, you're in Sweden. Is that correct? That's right. That's is it, right. Is it in the middle of the night? It is pretty much in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> okay, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the night. Anton, uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on with Elon saying he wants to take Tesla private. It's a story that's been dominating the news. Does this make sense, or is it uh, shenanigans? Well, it neither makes sense, uh, nor do we have the kind of information that one normally has to have in a situation like this. Normally, if you want to take a company private, what you do is that you, uh, you know, you essentially come to an agreement with the group that is going to finance such a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar type of transaction. And then you go to your own board of directors and you have your own board of directors vote on it, and then once you've done that, then you essentially put out a big press release in which you state all of the terms and conditions around the offer, and you go from there, at which point you make it public. Um, Elon Musk did no such thing, of course, in this case. What he did is that he essentially sent out a tweet saying something to the tune of considering taking the company private uh, financing uh, secured. Or something like that, okay. and uh, of course, for the for for starters, 
people were scrambling to figure out was this even uh, a hacked account. And, of course, it took the better part of an hour to figure out that uh, the messaging was at least, uh, you know, not as a result of a hacked situation. And uh, then we went on to go for all of the other information, most notably, who's behind this offer? Where is the money coming from? If you say funding is secured, it basically normally means that you have a signed contract, probably you have the money in escrow somewhere, and it's been several days now, and we have heard absolutely nothing uh, in terms of anything firm to go on. We got a longer statement from Elon Musk himself, and we got a very short statement from the board saying that they were in some sort of conversations and would get back to us at some point. And this is just not the way things work. So I think the market is uh, very much at unease with the situation and looking for uh, clarity. Now, Elon, his job is to break the mold, right? He's changing the way that people do things. But what's the downside to doing it this way? Well, breaking the mold is uh, one thing. You can do that as an engineer, but you can't break the law. And we have securities laws, and we have laws that uh, uh, stock exchanges that say that if you're running a public company, uh, you have to disseminate information you know, uniformly and fairly to all market participants. And uh, you know, if you're blocking people on Twitter, you're not uniformly distributing information if you if you, uh, you know, put out material news or Twitter. So you have to do that in traditional standardized format. You know, we have in the United States something called the Securities and Exchange Commission, where a company would have to file a certain type of form with material news. And as of this moment, the company hasn't done it. And usually you have to do that before you start communicating these sorts of things in other media, Twitter or otherwise. And uh, this is uh, something that it, becomes very much clear here that even the board of directors of Tesla itself uh, wasn't aware or hadn't authorized or hadn't planned on this information coming out. So Elon Musk kind of just uh, pressed the button on his uh, on his Twitter account and surprised everybody, even the people close to him and the company. So the big question now is, did or is there a question that Elon Musk may have broken the law? Well, you've had all sorts of former... Um, SEC people, Securities and Exchange Commission officials and uh, so forth on television over the last few days scrambling, saying that basically if he did not have funding for this thing secured, as he said in that initial bombshell tweet on uh, Tuesday morning California time, then uh, there could be consequences of this. And I think it's pretty clear that uh, there is an investigation underway as we speak to find out uh, the facts of this case, and uh, I think they are probably hunting this down pretty fast. So it would not surprise me if we hear something more about this within uh, as little as the next 24 hours. Uh, then the the timeline, I guess, for information and possibilities that this ve- this company goes private is: will we hear something at a given date, or is it just left open ended? Well, at this point, given the fact that it appears that uh, we just did not have a a deal, a structured deal by the time this thing first was blurted out on Tuesday, uh, this is the type of deal that takes a long time to put together. You have to put together many tens of billions of dollars in financing. You have to structure this in a way so that you uh, can accommodate all of the covenants around all of the loans that the companies 
has that uh, will essentially accelerate the moment you try to change the structure of the company. And then Elon said a whole bunch of things on Twitter that made no sense whatsoever. He talked about allowing the existing stockholders to essentially continue to become owners in the company. I mean, of course, the reason for private is something called a control premium. And a control premium means that if you're willing to pay more for the shares of the company than the amount at which they are trading in the public market, you're doing that for a reason. And that reason is you want control. You want to get rid of all these pesky smaller stock owners so that you can basically have a far smaller number of people exercising control over the company. So trying to structure a transaction like this in some other way makes it far more complex and therefore takes far more time to work through. So I do not believe that we will have any finality on this in terms of a transaction for uh, for quite some time. I think it's going to take a, um, a long time to really figure it out. Now, in the meantime, could the company issue a statement saying that, well, we are working in the direction of trying to figure out a transaction of this particular type in nature? Yeah, that's possible. But I think it's going to take a long time to do due diligence and to sort out the legalities of this. So don't expect to uh, see Tesla disappear from uh, the NASDAQ anytime in the next uh, few weeks. Who's the winners, who's the losers if Tesla go private? Well, if Tesla can go private at uh, $420 a share, obviously the people who are willing to sell their shares into this uh, situation and then sort of get a price close to that would obviously be good uh, good winners. I think the losers are potentially the people who are behind taking the company private at a valuation where uh, they are going to have to be responsible for further capital injections into the company. Remember, Tesla is losing money and has a very negative cash flow. They need an influx of uh, anywhere between a um, billion and a half to two and a half billion dollars a year just to stay afloat and to, uh, and then and even more money than that to try to engage in building new factories, whether in China or in the U.S. or elsewhere. So uh, they would have to then fund those things and try to find new loans for them. That may turn out to be very challenging. All right. Let's change gears a little bit here. Uh, Car sales in Sweden plummeting. That's right. So Sweden imposed a a new uh, taxation scheme for automobiles in the midpoint of this year. So as of July 1st, it now costs a lot more to register each year a new regular gasoline or diesel car went up by in some cases thousands of dollars per year and uh, all of this caused the new car market in Sweden to fall by right about the 50% mark so you had a 50% fall in the sales of new cars and uh, the backside of this of course is that uh, they're trying to subsidize electric cars and other plug-in cars more you'll now get about $6,500 if you buy an electric car And, of course, the sales of those cars did go up a little bit. But, of course, if you look at the totality of the market, it fell by about half. And if you were to translate that into United States conditions, you'd have to see a decline of millions of millions of cars on an annualized basis. So in terms of what uh, California and the other Canada states are looking to phase in here starting this year and be fully phased in uh, roughly at the end of 2025, um, people should look carefully at, uh, at uh, the experience of doing something similar in uh, this country over here and see what it means for the size of the entire automobile market.
Do you think that this is likely to ever happen in the United States? Are we going to see a tax increase just to pay for uh, alternative vehicle ve vehicle prices? Well, the way that it's been set up in California and the other so-called zero emissions vehicle states, it's a, it's, it's a, they're going about the issue a little bit different. What they're doing, instead of actually raising a visible tax and uh, doing an actually visible subsidy, what they're doing instead is that they're mandating the automakers to sell a certain percentage, an increasing percentage between now and 2026, of cars being electric cars and hydrogen fuel cell cars. So automakers having to comply with those quotas are going to have to adjust their pricing mechanisms to further subsidize the sale of electric cars to meet those quotas. And of course, you have to pay for that by raising the prices on other cars. So while this is essentially not uh, something that is a visible tax, it's very much an invisible tax and subsidy scheme in the United States that is hidden beneath the surface. The consumer doesn't see it as easily because what do you know what's behind the uh, thicker price of a car? Well, neither I nor you nor anybody else really know or understand why a car five or ten years from now will cost uh, 53000 instead of 42000 and and vice versa. So it, it's very much uh, uh, the opposite of transparency, but uh, the final result is nevertheless the same. Uh, CO2 limits is how they measure uh, some vehicles for sale in Europe, and that means that Europe has a harder time selling larger vehicles, right? That's right. So what Europe is doing this fall is that they're going to a new scheme of measuring fuel economy standards. So they're essentially the drive cycle. In the U.S., we have the EPA cycle as well. A car gets 33 miles per gallon on the highway, 24 miles per gallon in the city. Well, those results matter very much depending on exactly how that, what that drive cycle is like. What's the temperature? Or how fast do you accelerate? How fast do you go? And in, in Europe, the, the standard that they've been using previously had been very, very lenient. So you had these ridiculously high miles per gallon numbers that were completely unrealistic. And therefore, uh, Europe, in a, in a way to sort of uh, fix this problem a little bit, they, they uh, came up with a more stringent drive cycle. But they kept all of these fleet mix fuel economy standards the same. So now, essentially, these standards became harder to comply with because whatever numbers the automakers have been submitting until now simply uh, meant that uh, many of these automakers went over the line when they changed uh, the standard for the drive cycle. So the MPG numbers all came down across the board. And many of the automakers that were selling some large SUVs with big engines in them, diesel or gasoline alike, suddenly on a Europe-wide basis, they're now basically not allowed to sell as many of them because they, they hit the ceiling on the mix. If they their fleet the average must be a certain MPG, well, now uh, their mix uh, set them too high. So, uh, therefore, you can see across Europe, many, you know, Porsche, Audi, I saw various ads for various automakers saying that they're simply, they have to start restricting the number of this particular large SUV and other uh, CO2 heavy vehicles uh, during the second half of this year. They, you know, they could only sell so many thousands of them, as opposed to uh, a larger amount that uh, you know consumers actually were demanding. So this is a really big problem, and it's impacting the profitability of uh, most of the major uh, automakers, particularly the uh, large uh, European luxury automakers, BMW, Audi, Porsche, and so forth. Anton Wallman, you can find his stuff at uh, SeekingAlpha.com. He is a great guy. I suggest you check it out and also check out OurAutoExpert.com. We're here 24-7.